Hey everyone, and welcome back to Popcorn Prattle. I am, of course, one of your hosts, Mr. Marcus Sally, executive producer of Shenanigans Incorporated and one of the co-founders of Popcorn Prattle. Folks, we have missed you so, so much. And and if this is your first time listening to Popcorn Prattle, uh, first off, welcome. We're just a very small little podcast that enjoys talking about movies, but not in a pretentious way, but more so in a way like if you get out of the movies and you just want to talk about it with your best good buddies and of course i'm joined by my best good buddies first up you know him you love him it's mr steven bailey steven say hi to the folks at home hi folks at home how you doing Cha-cha-cha. and of course you know her you love her she's the ever so lovely ever so talented miss lindley keed lindley say hi to the folks at home Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> guys, um, first off, I've missed you guys so much. I, I always love recording because oh, it, it, it breaks up the week, you know, it makes mm-hmm. it a little bit more bearable. And hopefully, hopefully mm-hmm. to our listeners, it does the same for you, whether you're listening to this in the car, uh, at work, what have you. Um, it doesn't matter where you listen as long as you listen. Um, and of course, if you like this show, please don't forget to subscribe to us on Patreon. You can hit us up on Tad. Um, or just if you don't have the money right now, help us out. Go ahead and share our links uh, so that other people can enjoy the majesty that is popcorn prattle. Um, it's kind of a slow, it's still kind of a dry spell when it comes to movie news. Um, because we're kind of getting out of the summer, so we're kind of in that lull where some things are happening, and, not, and but they're not, like, huge. Um, but we do have a nice slate of topics for you. Uh, first up, we're going to talk about uh, Outlander. And I've, I've never seen this show. Uh, Lindley talked about it during our production meeting. And there's a lot of controversy, um, or lack thereof, when it comes to a particular scene in Outlander and and, and Lindley is curious, and, and after she mentioned it, now I'm also curious, I'm sure Steven is, uh, just why there is no big uproar about this. So we're going to talk about it. Uh, two nights ago, I got to see the new horror movie, It. And I will tell you about It very shortly in a spoiler-free review. And, of course, uh, we're going to end this week uh we really enjoyed having kind of like a broader topic in the last show so we're going to give you a new one uh this topic is going to be the loss of the director's voice and is uh is is it going away is it being taken away from our beloved directors who give us such wonderful stories and is it now being sucked into the corporate machine that is hollywood well we're going to talk about that very shortly so lindley steven are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Guys, let's prattle. So, it's the end of the summer, officially. Yay. We're in September. No. We made Yay. it. Yeah. Yay. God. Yay. <laughs> I know. It's Halloween For, Why are y'all season. celebrating? It's the end of the it's summer. That's not Halloween a celebratory season. time. <laughs> I know. That means we have to deal with children again. Um, yeah. <laughs> Unless you're celebrating the I arrival don't. of fall, which is it's good. It's the but, most you know, wonderful time. It's not really like, yeah, woo woo. It's more like awesome, you know? <laughs> Thanks, Bill. I- <laughs> Does that make Marcus Ted? 
Either way, whether you enjoyed your summer, whether it was, you know, free of, you know, just being by yourself or if you still had to work, but you still got a lot of you still got a lot of time with friends and family. Um, this was an odd summer for movies, guys. Like it, it was there was a lot of like highs there were, and there was a lot of lows. Yeah. And I feel like there was a lot more lows. Like, I don't feel like there was any movie that really stuck out this summer. There were definitely some there were definitely like some highlights. But there was no movie, I feel like, that everybody was talking about. Um, so let's just roundtable this for our little nugget. Um, what was everyone's favorite movie? Hmm. Lindley, start us off, because Steven doesn't see a lot of movies. As Dave and I joke <laughs> well, about all the time. Sup, Dave? Hi, Dave. Dave. Um, well, I know which one Steven's going to talk about, so I'll save that one for him. But one that I thought really stuck out was Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh. Um, for me, it was just, it was it was everything I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. It was, I think it was a great, it took what, what was wrong and what was right with the Tobey Maguire movies or the Andrew Garfield movies, made it something else entirely, and it was it was just great. I had mm-hmm. such a fun time watching that movie. And for summer movies, that's what I want. I want to have a fun time. And I really think Spider-Man Homecoming delivered, especially with performances from Tom Holland and especially Michael Keaton. It mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. we talked about villains a couple podcasts ago, but he he gave us a, another memorable Marvel villain that I Good job. Good good job. As always yeah, for Michael yeah. Keaton. I'll be excited to see what they do going forward. Um, oh, I me feel too. like there was if I feel like this was kind of like uh Spider Man Homecoming was kind of like The Force Awakens, you know? Like the studio had mm. to get our trust back with a Spider Man, especially in a in a society where we're kind of exhausted with Spider Man movies. Um A little bit and yeah. I feel like I feel like they get I feel like they were starting to give us something new. Um that they can definitely play around with and something that I feel like over the years as we get more Spider-Man movies um, and as as he becomes more engrossed in the MCU we're going to start to not so much forget the old movies but we'll start to be like okay like this is our this is the this is the gold standard now this is what we mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. expect from Spider-Man movies in the future so mm-hmm. we'll see we'll definitely see uh Stephen what about you uh well um for me um I really didn't see a whole lot of movies um pretty much all the movies I saw I did a kernel review of them uh, you should check that out on the popcorn prattle YouTube page um but the the best one the standout one for me of course was Wonder Woman um <clears throat> it was well directed well acted I thought you know for an origin story that uh tells a story that is definitely related to a very in my opinion, terrible cinematic universe. Uh, it really, it really did everything right for the most part. Um, mm. And I think, uh, you know, Wonder Woman really just has. Um, I think we may have already pointed this out many times, but it, it's really where the DC universe really should have started. I think, um, mm. and mm-hmm. just had they done that, I think people would have had a lot more faith going into some of these other DC movies. So, um, mm-hmm. 
there's that. You got me actually saying, hey, DC might stand a chance now. Um, but just aside from all that, as a movie, I thought it was extremely well done. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, I agree. I'm excited to see uh, where they go with it in future installments. Marcus, what was your favorite? You know, I I thoroughly enjoyed Baby Driver. Um, I mean, I've talked about it multiple times on the show. Uh, I've talked about, I mean, I listened to the soundtrack literally on my way to work every day. Um, <laughs> it's just such a fun movie. Um, I constantly go online and I'm like, when does it come out? When does it come out on Blu-ray? So I can, I can go out and buy it. Uh, it's a cool movie. You know, we don't see movies anymore that are just cool. You know what I mean? And it was and it was cool and it was cool for the fact that it wasn't like an established franchise like a superhero movie. You guys know how I love superhero movies, but you know, I do I do enjoy other types of movies. And when you have a movie like that that is so cool, it has a great story, you have great characters that are playing around in this world. Um, I think that that is a movie that people need to make it a point to go see. You know what I mean? Because that is Especially, especially us as as you know, kind of film buffs. Um, that those are that's definitely the type of movie that we need to see and be promoting so that more people can go see it and hopefully we can continue to change the landscape of of Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. As we're as we're going to talk about later with you know the loss of the director's voice. Um, for those of you who don't know, Baby Driver was directed by Edgar Wright, and I think I even made mention on the show. Like I understand now why Edgar Wright could not stay on Ant-Man because baby if if because apparently I guess baby driver has like a lot of elements that he wanted in Ant-Man it would have never it would have never jived with the larger MCU like Mm. it couldn't and it's disappointing but at the same time I feel like the Ant-Man that we got does fit and was very strong and whereas Baby Driver was it's strong on its own, you know he created his own little universe um, and played around in it. There are rumors that uh, Baby Driver is possibly up for a sequel, mm. um, which which might be interesting. I feel like as long as Edgar Wright has full control, which I think you know it's it's kind of like Patty Jenkins. I I feel like she's gonna get. I feel like they're gonna just let trust her. When it comes to Wonder Woman. Um, <laughs> so I feel like it's going to be the same thing with Edgar Wright. Where they're just going to trust him as far as like, what do you want in Baby Driver 2? Because clearly you've got your finger on the pulse and you completely understand it. Yeah. So, yeah. But I enjoyed, I enjoyed Baby Driver. Um, let's, talk about, let's talk about something even better. Let's talk about our, like the worst movies of the summer because there was a lot of sequels. There's a lot. Um, who who went first last time? Steven? Was it you? I did. Oh no, Lindley. Lindley, go ahead. Hook us up. What was your what was your least favorite, Lindley? I love the this. mummy. She hates it so much. It's worse than Suicide Squad. You said right. It's worse. I would. I used to say I would watch Batman v Superman five times in a row before I watched Suicide Squad again. Now it's changed where I said I would watch Suicide Squad five times in a row before I watched the TC Mummy movie again. It's one movie that I had someone, I literally had someone ask me about it last week because if, I don't know if, like, 
audiences, if you don't follow me on Instagram already, you should, at Little Lottie. But I've posted about how I have this little <laughs> key to Hamanoptera necklace that I wear sometimes for my own nerdy pleasures. And someone saw it. It was like, hey, what did you think of the, the latest Mummy movie? I went off on it, just like I did after I first saw it. No holds bar. It's it's horrible. It's horrible filmmaking. It's horrible franchising. It's just horrible. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I won't get into detail because I've talked so much on the show about how much I hate the 2017 Mummy movie. So, moving on. <laughs> Big Steve, what about you? Did you just call him Big Steve? (laughs) You just call me Big Steve. Um, Yeah, call him Big Steve. Uh, Well, you know, um, having not seen The Mummy, because Lindley warned me about against seeing it, so thank Mm -hmm. you. Um, You're welcome. uh, The only other movie I really got to see this summer was Pirates of the Caribbean, and it's one of those cases where it's like, I don't have anything bad to say about it. I can't sit here and say it was an amazing movie, but I can't say it was a bad movie either. It was just kind of a, mm-hmm. you know, it was a fun little popcorn flick. Um, not my favorite of the Pirates movies, but des- definitely not my least favorite either. Um, I felt like uh, the characters, um, particularly the straight heroes, um uh-huh. for me i thought they were more interesting than jack sparrow and uh and that's you know in all the sequels before this one jack sparrow's always kind of taken center stage but i don't feel like he stole the show as much this time around and i appreciated yeah. that um hmm. i really like the characters this time around uh without giving away too many spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it um i kind of like uh where they take some of the uh, Pirates' characters. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought the MacGuffin was kind of fun. I thought the villain was <laughs> uh, pretty fun. Um, I just, I just, you know, at the end of the day, I just can't say that it was anything spectacular either. Um, mm-hmm. It's worth a watch at the very least, I would say. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's a lot better. It's an improvement on the fourth one, I would have to say. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. story-wise, Definitely. Um, well, that's good. And uh, and I guess that's another... I know we're supposed to be talking about our least favorite movies of the summer, and all I'm doing is just praising this movie, but um, that's another thing, too. It didn't feel nearly as needlessly compl- complicated or convoluted like the, some of the other mm-hmm. ones do, um, mm-hmm. which was a big plus for me. A simple, uh, a simple plot was all they needed. And I don't mean yeah. simple like, you know it was painfully underdeveloped or anything. I just mean, I feel like they didn't try to complicate it too much, uh, like they Mm -hmm. normally do. Mm -hmm. Um, right. That said, you know, the sum of its parts equal at least a B minus movie. Um, I would probably, I'd probably give it a B, you know, Mm -hmm. not Mm -hmm. great, but not terrible either. So Mm -hmm. I do at least recommend a watch. How about you, Marcus? What was your least favorite movie of the summer? Tell us. Tell us. Tell us. Do it. Do it. You know, I... Do it. <laughs> Lord Jesus. Well, you know, I didn't really see... I didn't really see any bad movies. Like, I... 
I'm, I'm not going to brag. I kind of take pride in the fact that, like, I refuse to pay for movies that I know going into it I'm going to probably hate. <laughs> ever since ever since we call, made that bad call, Stephen, way back when, to go see Dragon Wars, I <laughs> have never... No, D Wars. I have never... I have never uh, gone to a movie that I didn't walk out of it being like, I enjoyed that. Um, or having other people say, like, I enjoyed that, too. Um, so, again, I, I take pride in that. Um, well, now that I think about it, except for, of course, Batman vs. Superman and Suicide Squad, um, which I felt like was a complete waste of money. Um, but this one, I absolutely refused to go see it because I knew in my heart of hearts it was going to be worse then Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad combined, and that was Transformers: The Last Night. Um, oh God! And some of you are probably listening to this, and you're like, "Well, hey, Marcus, how can you decide that you don't like a movie if you've never seen it?" Excellent point. I've seen the last four. Okay, I've seen the last four. The first one was decent. At the time, I enjoyed myself. I'm sure we all enjoyed ourselves. Around the second one, it was kind of like, I'm going to ignore some mistakes that you're making. Around the third one, the plot was so convoluted you couldn't understand it. And in the fourth one, they basically did a soft reboot. And they kind of acknowledged the past, but didn't. And it was weird. And I said, you know what? If you can't keep your story straight in the fourth movie, how are you supposed to do that in the fifth movie? So, no, I didn't go see Transformers last night, but I don't have to, because after I looked at Wikipedia and looked up what was happening in it, I told myself, I said, oh, so basically everything that I thought was going to happen in this movie happened. (laughs) Even the twist at the end, I predicted. And some of you might be like, oh, no, you can never predict that. Shut your mouth. You (laughs) can't. You can predict it, okay? It, it's not like it comes out of left field. Um, and once they explain it to you, it's like, well, that's dumb. That's why they come, that's why the Transformers keep showing up on Earth. That's why. No, 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 no. That's dumb. And we need to stop pretending like it's not dumb. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. Like, I just cannot support a movie like this after watching, like, uh, Baby Driver and Wonder Woman and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and Spider-Man Homecoming and then being like, doop doop, I'm going to spend the exact same amount of money and go see Transformers like they're equal movies. No, I will get a bootleg. <laughs> oh, that was deep. That was deep. That was real deep. Sorry, I got a lot of, I got a lot of hate for Transformers. I mean, I'm probably, I'm probably going to rent it, but like at Redbox for a dollar, because that's all it's worth. A dollar. I don't think it's even like worth it will, that. It's, it's it will not be Transformers well, is the problem. Well, if I can get, if I can get like a free, if I can get like a, which they usually come out with like every week. If I can get like a free movie pass to get it, like I'll use that. Because that's all it's worth. Oh. I know. I know, right? I know, right? But guys, let's switch gears a little bit. There's no, there's no good way to segue into this, Um, because (laughs) I, 
because I and and I and I really want to just get to the meat and potatoes of it because I'm very because the more I think about it, the more I I am confused on why it's not getting quite as much attention. I have theories. I'd like to share those mm-hmm. theories. But I want Lindley, can you since this is your topic, uh, why don't you just explain to the audience like what what is what is what's happening with Outlander? What is it? <laughs> what is the scene in question? And let's dig in. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I've been trying to find something to watch while I am patiently and not so patiently waiting for Game of Thrones to come back. So I've been hearing a lot of talk on this show called Outlander because it just started its third season. So I was like, cool, period drama. Let's give it a chance. For those of you who don't know what Outlander is about, it's about a woman who goes on vacation with her husband to Scotland in 1945 and then magically ends up in Scotland alone in 1743. So about 200 years in the past. Uh, She has to learn how to survive. There's plenty of very good looking men in kilts and it's just fun times all around in Scotland. Or maybe not so fun times, uh, because while it has started its third season, you know, I started recently from season one, but towards the end of season one, I almost stopped watching entirely, but I pressed through, and then again, in the middle of season two, I almost threw my computer at the wall and stopped watching, but again... Managed to manage to get through it, and I'm I'm kind of glad that I did uh, mm-hmm. to get to where I am now. I'm actually I think I missed the second episode of season three tonight, but I'm gonna go watch that later. But here's what I'm confused. Usually, I'm okay with watching semi graphic things if they have a purpose. A lot of, you know, stuff like in Saw, I can, I can get through that. A lot of the things in Game of Thrones, I can get through. But this, I had to skip through. Mm. I really did. I won't go into too much detail because this is not the platform to talk about such things. But it made me think back to something that happened in Game of Thrones a few seasons ago that a lot of people were up in arms about. And even I was a little up in arms about. Um, something happened to Sansa Stark. Uh, it was between Sansa Stark and Ramsay Bolton. And if you watch Game of Thrones, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it, a lot of people were saying it was gratuitous. It was graphic. But nothing was shown. I think you heard what was happening for maybe five seconds until it cut to black. But you never saw anything. Now, Outlander, while I don't think it is, it is as popular as Game of Thrones, still has a very large fan base and it's on a channel, it's on Stars, where things like the Tudors was from. I think Ash vs. Evil Dead is on Stars. So it's a mm. huge platform still. But they can get away with doing very graphic scenes like that. But showing things in detail for longer periods of time and some, and in one case, not to an adult. Uh Granted, when it was not with an adult, it wasn't, it wasn't as graphic. 
there was no nudity, but it was still something that, you know, audiences really don't need to see. So my question is, I have two questions. Mm-hmm. When does a media platform like film that is supposed to be about show, don't tell, when does that show cross the line? And second question is, how can a show like Game of Thrones be, you know, degraded for something like this, but shows like Outlander, I never even heard about this until I watched it for myself. It never got, like, big buzz. So why can this go under the radar, but maybe something like Game of Thrones, who didn't do it as intensely, it can get a lot of backlash. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I may, um, so I want to start with the second question. I feel like the reason why Game of Thrones got so much heat is because Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones, from the very beginning, from its first episode, um, has always been seen as the show where the sex in it is just to put butts in seats, mm-hmm. you know, and then to, and they, and they, and they glorify, and they glorify, you know, sexual deviancy and, and, you know, regardless of what, what your thoughts are on it or, or whatever, um, it doesn't, I, I hate sex in film when it doesn't add something to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like yeah. I feel like if you're going to if you're going to have sex in film, then it should it should serve a purpose. Um, mm-hmm. Don't judge me. Um, but I watched <laughs> I watched the entire entirety of Nymphomaniac on Netflix. And the, oh, oh, shoot. What's his name? That was Lars, that did Lars Yeah. Yeah. The, the, um, the Nazi. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's. Um, it's it's not bad it's like like the story is actually strong i mean once i mean i mean the the scenes in it are very very graphic um if you are younger and you're listening to this like you do not need to be watching that shit that movie Um, no or any lars von trier movie to begin with right no not at all um they will (laughs) honestly give you nightmares (laughs) that's exactly why they shouldn't watch it because it'll give them nightmares (laughs) Um, but I, but to me, that, that was fine because it supported the story. And every time something did happen, you saw the effects that it was, that it was having on the main character, Mm -hmm. which ultimately that's, that's what its purpose should be in a movie. You know, it should further it should it should further character development. It should show another side of the character that maybe you don't get to see in any other way. With Game of Thrones, they just put nudity in there just for the sake of nudity. Like it's not even in the book. It's just there in the it's just there on the show. Um, yeah. Now with Outlander, as far as when does a movie <clears throat> cross the line? Yeah, I think that a movie, in all honesty, and, and maybe I'm just repeating myself, but I feel like a movie honestly crosses the line when it becomes more about shock value. Yeah. Then here's something to support 
the story. Like, so for instance, um, Downton Abbey had a rape scene and they don't show anything, but the, but it's, and it's weird to say, but it was, it was a beautifully filmed scene because you saw the door where you knew it was happening and then they would cut back to the this opera singer and everybody in the house is watching the opera singer and they're you know and they're just so engrossed and like you know they're feeling all these different emotions and mm-hmm. I'm like that I'm like that is that is wonderfully done you know yeah and and, and and some people were and some people were upset about that but to me I was like I was like no 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 I said number one they're not showing anything you know what's mm-hmm. happening that is and that is real life. I'm like, but they're also doing it in such a way that they're doing when you it tastefully. Watch, yeah, yeah, and and you still I, feel and you still feel the horror of it, but you're still in the story. You're not completely taken out of the story to the point where you're like, whoa, why are you doing this? I I you know? agree, Marcus, and I feel like at least in the second instance where this happened in Outlander, they started to do that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. the the. It's a little complicated as far as the characters go because the main bad guy, uh, Jack Randall, in 1743 is the ancestor of the person that the main girl Claire is married to in 1945. So they can't kill him because without him, her husband in like a different time isn't born. Anyways, so he is, he's the main bad guy around both of these scenes. And in the second Mm. scene, it does deal with a child, a boy. And the character is known for wearing lavender oil. So he has a distinctive scent. Mm. So the boy is upset. The girl goes to the main girl goes to the boy to see what's wrong. And he holds up like he's a pickpocket and he holds up where he's stolen something and it's a bottle of lavender oil. And if they had just done that, mm-hmm, if they had mm-hmm. left the implication there, that that would have been sufficient enough. I think because technically what has happened does further what is going on in this story. It sparks something else that sparks another action. It's not just there to be gratuitous. Mm-hmm. But just the but they didn't stop there. They did a flashback scene, and it's just like, do, do audiences really need to see this? Right? Do you want to subject your audience to this? Don't mm-hmm. don't shy away from it because yes, it does happen. It's it's something that happens in real life, but there's a tasteful way to do it, and I just. Well, I, I, I mean, struggled I mean, with finishing this the the season. I'm glad I did because it did get better. But just those kind of things, just I don't know. Well, I mean, the way you were the way you were describing it, it sounds like I mean, you 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 got it the first time. Mm-hmm. You didn't have you to got go it the first further. time, and then you like, just added. Yeah, and and maybe it's and maybe it's just. I mean, we. I mean, we as theater people, we do this all the time. We think that our audience are stupid, and that we have to like break things down like to like the lowest common denominator, just so that they understand. But I mean, audiences are smarter than what than what you give them credit for, and it, that it seems to me like a producer got scared 
which is ironic because we're going to mm-hmm. talk about that later. But it seems to me like a producer got scared and they were like, mm, I don't know if the audience is going to understand that. You should do this and it also <laughs> boosts ratings and, you know, we'll get uh, like a lot of media attention over it because no, pre- no press is bad press. Um, no. I don't so, know. Like, I feel like yeah. that was some Hollywood execs, like, logic behind, oh, why do, why do we do that? Oh, it's because of this. When really there is no real reason. Yeah. Mm. I agree. What are your, what I do just... you think, Stephen? Uh, well, um, you know, I do agree that I don't think any topic uh, that relates to human activity should be off limits um, for exploration and even some of the more grisly uh, and horrifying realities of life um, are definitely things that have to be talked about um, but I do agree that there is a way to kind of handle them that isn't uh, shocking like exploitive I think is a good word for it um, if it pushes the story forward and it is vital to the story and it's not just there to put butts in the seat um, then I think, you know, okay, let's look at how we actually do that. Um, because in a lot of older movies, some classic ones like Gone with the Wind, you know, people talk about it like it's this great, you know, classic achievement. But there is a rape scene halfway through the movie. It's marital rape. Uh, the guy basically, you know, drags his wife up the stairs and it cuts away. Uh, but then the next day, you know, she's in bed and she's all smiling and happy about it. And it just, it really sends the wrong message about how serious the that, what just happened was, you know. And I think, so as time has kind of gone on, I think attitudes have definitely changed about how it's portrayed. And I think, especially in today's day and age, people ought to know better than to just use it as shock value. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't personally have problems watching sex scenes at all, um, but... Again, I agree with you, Marcus. It does have to actually add something to the story. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, a good a good example, um, one of my favorite movies, uh, Munich. Um, there's a scene at the end where, uh, to summarize the movie for those of you who haven't seen, it's basically about this guy who, um, he basically is part of a counter-terrorist unit who uh, gets vengeance after the 1972 Winter Olympics uh, Black mm-hmm. uh, September terrorist attacks. And um, the whole movie is all about him basically losing his faith in humanity and how, you know, all the violence that they're seeking to exact revenge on just leads to more and more violence. And it's such a great movie. It's long, but it just, you you really see how it eats away at his soul And uh, Mm. so at the end, when he's finally reunited with his wife, there's this painful, horrible sex scene where, you know, he and his wife start having sex, but it's not titillating at all. It it's like Mm. it's intercut with all these horrible images. And it's like and to me, it's important because it shows just how much this journey has destroyed his soul. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's. It is hard to watch and it is terrible, but it is still vital to the story. Now, compare that to, um, I don't know, I guess something out of Game of Thrones. I know I've seen a few episodes where it just seems like, oh, hello, naked lady, for some reason. Or, oh, hello, naked dude. 
And it's just like, like literally, they'll be in the, in the middle of council scenes, and it's just like, mm, I feel like stripping. And there's no reason for it, other than to just make it more interesting. And it's like, you know, it. here's my thing, and this is just a writer's critique. If you have to resort to sex and nudity just to keep your audience's interest, maybe you should go back and look at the scene you're actually writing. Maybe it's just not that interesting to begin with. But that's just my personal opinion. I, I haven't really watched Game of Thrones. Um, now, when it comes to more intense things, you really have to think about what message are you sending when you do have you know some grisly things like a rape scene. Are you glorifying right. the rapist? Because there are movies and TV shows where it's all shot from his perspective. It's, and it's almost always a guy. They never... Like I know there's great. Yeah, I mean there are there are some things where, you know, it's a woman, but most of the time it's usually a guy being presented as the rapist and it's like, you know, look at, you know, you have to look at the language of the camera movements and the cinematography. Is it sending the message that oh yeah, this guy's a rock star like in, you know, Gone mm -hmm. with the Wind? Um, you know, it's kind of shown as this, whoa, it's just a heated argument, but it's like no. He took Scarlett O'Hara upstairs to rape her. You know, that's not mm -hmm. You know, modern sensibilities should tell you that is not cool. But the way the movie shot mm -hmm. and the way it kind of treats it is like, yeah, he got some action. And it's like, you know, it's so out of touch with the reality. Um, another mm -hmm. thing you have to pay attention to is look at the victims. Um, how are you telling their story by showing this? You know, are you just exploiting their pain for shock value or are you actually trying to say something uh, about it are you trying to show something and push the story forward because you know um i think that is a clear uh important thing um there's a couple scenes in kill bill and i can't believe i'm bringing up kill bill as a like serious uh discussion point but i feel like that kind of handles it somewhat appropriately um it never gets exploited or shows um it doesn't treat the rapist like a rock star. It doesn't exploit her, um, you know, pain and misery just for the sake of exploiting it. It shows her pain and misery as a motivating factor for getting revenge. I mean, it's in a movie that is total exploitation. It ironically enough gets that point, I think, right for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really kind of how I feel is like you got to be careful, like, is it important to the story? Are you just doing this for shock value? Because I think if you're going to do it for shock value, you may want to rethink your story and your writing because something's not strong enough if that's what you have right. to resort to. So those are my thoughts on it. Yeah. Absolutely, Stephen. Um, like 100%. I mean, I feel... I mean, this is one... I mean, this is definitely one topic that we, you know, we here at Popcorn Battle, we just feel strongly about... Um, and again, I, I don't, I don't think it's a matter of being prudish. I think it's a matter of like, look, I, I like, I don't like seeing violence that is overly excessive and there's no point to it's it. Not, it's if not there's, to watch. if yeah, it's, no. it's, there's a difference between seeing something like, and Lindley will probably Lindley will probably agree, even though we don't always agree about this thing. But it's there's something different about when Tarantino has a lot of violence and Saul has a lot of violence, or yeah. or hostile. Hostile to me is is better because hostile really serves no point whatsoever. 
Saw at least has a plot, um, <laughs> even though Lindley doesn't feel like it does. Um, but 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 when you look at like a Tarantino scene, and you know, and it's like you look at like the bar scene in Inglorious Bastards, where yeah. everybody dies. It's a huge shootout. It's incredibly bloody and violent, but it fits with the with the story that you're trying to tell. Yeah, you know, and it's not like. He's not doing it because, you know, because he's Tarantino and he's crazy. He's like, no, like, I want people to, to like, see this and just the whole screen just filled with blood. And I'm trying to make a point with this. And whether you get it or not, that's one thing. But there mm-hmm. is a point. And it's not just for Tarantino likes to have, you know, do a shoot 'em up every you know every movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But speaking of speaking of movies with a wee bit of blood, wee bit of violence and sending chills down your body. Guys. <laughs> so I saw it. You saw what? I saw it. You saw what? Or what? or actually <laughs> I guess the proper I guess the proper name would be It Chapter One The Losers Club. <laughs> technically technically that technically that is the full title. They don't show it at the beginning, they show it at the end. Um mm-hmm. but Okay. For those of you who have never seen it before, first off, it's it's they've been like running marathons for the past like week, so I don't know why you haven't seen it yet. Um, but the story is, uh, it's a Stephen King story about this killer clown who lives in, of course, Derry, um, the small town of Derry, Maine. And Mm -hmm. every 25 years, I believe it is every 25 years, 27, it's 27 27. because it's been 27 years exactly since the miniseries came out. There you go. So every 27 years, it, uh, comes from the sewers um otherwise known as pennywise the clown um and basically abducts slash eats kids and so i mean i've i've seen the original i i think i was i must have been pretty young when i saw the original um as i'm sure we all were Yeah. yeah so so when i saw it i mean i was i was scared i really was I I thought that I knew right away. I knew that Tim Curry had done a great job as Pennywise the clown. Um, I thought the kids were very strong. Actually, I thought the kids. I thought some of the kids were a little weak. Some of the adults were stronger. In the miniseries. Um, in the miniseries. Not every adult. Like I hated the Bill adult, but I liked. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, like he was forgettable. Like it just felt like, oh, so it's just Stephen King. <laughs> like, is that what we're doing right <laughs> now? Um, I thought I thought Beverly was better. The adult Beverly was better um, than the child Beverly. But um, again, that was the miniseries. Um, the remake is just the first part of this story. So in the miniseries, mm-hmm. it's the it's. It's part one and part two combined, with like part one being flashbacks. Um, so you never really get 
you never feel like it's like too suspenseful because you know that the kids sorry spoilers um but the movie's been out for a while and the book's been out even longer um <laughs> you feel like you never feel like the kids are in danger you know what mm-hmm. i mean yeah. Okay. Where whereas in in this one, even though I know chapter two is coming, I love the fact that I did not have to see them as adults. Mm-hmm. And I felt so much fear for the kids. Um Bill Bill Skarsgard does a fantastic job as Pennywise the Clown. Um, He, there's this, it's, there's this like underlying sinisterness to him where every time he's in a scene, um, actually it's, it's interesting because his eyes change, his eyes colors change. Mm -hmm. And every time, and like, you know, when he's about like when he's getting real close because you start to see his eyes like slowly change from blue to yellow. Um, you definitely get early on that he's not like some dude. Whereas in the movie, in the original movie, like you know, it's like it's Tim Curry. Like yeah. he could just be some psychopath <laughs> yeah. down the street. You never get <laughs> that in this. <laughs> you always get like right. You always get that he is a demon. That there's something otherworldly. There's something supernatural about him. Yeah. Um. They really drive the point home that the adults know that it is around, which I liked, because yeah. I feel like that was a missed opportunity in the first move in the in the original. Mm-hmm. Because you know about it in the book, you you real in the book they tell you like the parents the adults know they just don't acknowledge it, um, and in this it really is acknowledged like the adults know what's up and they're trying to protect the kids as much as possible, but they also know like most of the kids in the town are going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids in this, fantastic. I told I told my girlfriend Rachel after the movie, I don't know how part two is going to stack up to part one because the kids knocked it out of the park. You care so much about all of these kids. I, like, so Seth Green plays, like, kind of, like, the douchebaggy kid who jokes a lot in the in the original. Um, I totally forgot he was in that. But in this in this one, it is the uh, it's the it's the main kid from uh, Stranger Things, hmm. which I didn't realize that was who he was playing. And he steals that movie, guys. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, Bill, like, the kid who plays Bill, who's the leader of the Losers Club, he's also very strong. Don't get it twisted. But this kid, the Stranger Kids, the Stranger Things kid, kills every scene that he's in. He's vulgar. He's, like, he's like constantly talking about, like, sleeping with the, the Jewish kid's mom all the time. Oh, and it is hilarious. It is hilarious. Because he just, because you can tell, like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> like he's really just talking out of his butt the entire movie <laughs> um, and they also do a better job of with his character and maybe it's because he's from Stranger Things so he's the most recognizable kid um, but he has several nice moments in it that Seth Green did, definitely did not get nor could he probably handle those those scenes um, mm-hmm. in the original 
Um, but yeah, I just guys, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I will not say it is the best movie in the world because I feel like it's unfair to judge it just yet until we see part two. Hmm. You know what I mean? Because I feel yeah. like I feel like when you when you talk about it, you need to see it in its entirety. You can't just judge it on like, oh, part one is part one's really good. So the whole movie is is great. No. You got to watch part two first and then you can decide because if it's not good as a whole, well, then it's like The Hobbit, you know, <laughs> nice, strong, nice, nice, strong start. And then right about the second movie when you realize they could have wrapped this up in maybe maybe even a four hour one movie uh yeah yeah you don't, yeah you don't want no hobbit situation um <laughs> but i do but i i from my from what i understand they are going to end it i think after chapter two which i mean again makes sense yeah. but um, it's kind of a big book it is it is but it's i mean it's it's definitely um it's definitely worth watching you will be afraid um i was constantly looking over my shoulder oh yeah (laughs) like like beware of red balloons beware of clowns i swear i'm not kidding i was on the bus talking to someone about it and he and as we're talking, he stops and points out the window, and there's a car that we are passing with a red balloon tied to it. Oh man! We both just flipped out. Oh no! I can't. I can't with that. <laughs> oh! 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 One other thing, and uh-huh. and really, I think it's only Stephen that knows this, Stephen. Yes. That scene the scene isn't in it. But they do do something similar. Oh god, which scene? No, no, the, the sewer scene. scene? That scene? Yes. Yes. No, no, it's uh. it's really nice. It's no, no, it's really nice what they do in in the movie. They like Okay, it's, it's not like as horrifying. Those who Right, those who know the book know that like this is the PG version of what we're doing. Wait. <laughs> Wait. They, okay, they, well, they don't do the 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 yeah. the thing with the the the, the thing kind of what to what we're Lindley, just talking about about Lindley you, you know you know what it is I know Lindley just if you don't remember if you if you're wondering what we're talking about literally just go on Wikipedia and it will be it's no, in, it's it's in like the first part I know yeah I know, they talk about it well I'm glad they cut it that's one of, going back to our earlier conversation oh, that's one of those things that's like. Do you really need that, or are you just being gross? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear they cut it, then. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I went into it knowing that they cut it, but I also heard that they they had done something um, in its place, which I thought was curious, because the first, the miniseries didn't even acknowledge it. Yeah. Like, it didn't even, like, have, like, a filler. It was like, like, all right, now we're we're done. Now we can get out of here. Um, whereas in this one, they actually do take the time, um, to kind of fill that void. So it's not awkward. Um, oh yeah. Also, whenever Pennywise like shows up as something else, it is, 
so, so freaking scary. Because you don't notice it at first, and then you look down in the corner, and it's like, boop, there's Pennywise. Like, just oh, being like, I'm ready, I'm ready to eat you. <laughs> also, also, the opening scene with, um, with Georgie, holy crap. Yeah. Like it, like I saw, I saw that. Scene. Oh, you Someone saw it? Online <laughs> well, and I yeah. saw it. Yeah. Hold my brother it who has yeah. it, and you know, I usually do respect my brother's opinion on horror movies. He said that is the moment when he real. It's like the movie is screaming to you. We've got no rules. We are not afraid to show some messed up stuff. And so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, when that happened, I just leaned over and I was like, that didn't oh. happen in the, in the miniseries. <laughs> I was like, he just disappears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, it was much tamer. Oh, God. It's kind of like, it's kind of like um, watching Death Note and being like, why is it so, yeah. <laughs> like, it's so violent. It was never this violent in the anime, nor the manga. <laughs> and never that bad? Uh, no, not even close. <laughs> we'll have to say, we'll save that for another time when, maybe that can be like next, that can be next time's nugget. Marcus, Marcus cusses out Netflix for making a god-awful Death Note adaptation. <laughs> you know, I gotta say that I've heard like a lot. that, actually, no, actually, no, I want to go back to the first topic. That's my least, that was the worst movie of the summer, Death <laughs> Note. That counts, that counts. De- Death Note was the worst movie of the summer. And I actually saw Death Note, so I know what I'm talking about. That movie was crap. I won't talk about it right now. We'll move on. But I just want people to know, don't watch it, especially if you love the anime. Because I I hated that movie so much, I had to watch the anime immediately <laughs> after. <laughs> I was like, like I was like, thank God, uh, Death Note's still on Netflix because that's what I need to watch right now. And it was like, it was like, oh, because you watch Death Note, they were like, here's Death Note, and I'm like, yeah, thank you, Netflix. You already know what it is. <laughs> oh gosh. You know, I'm glad to hear that this uh, remake of it is good because I swear. I feel like I'm the only person who grew up not only not scared of the movie It, but actually watching it and finding it hilarious. Because, like, uh, my gosh, I just... My brother got it when he was, like, four years old on DVD. I was, like, 12 or 13. We watched it, and I was like, this movie's hilarious. Like, in a (laughs) almost... I don't want to say Tommy Wiseau way, because it's definitely made with a level of competence, but Tim Curry <laughs> is just hilarious. He just pops up mm. and goes, beep, beep, Richie, and then just looks at them, and then it cuts away, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Was he going to kill the kids or just taunt them a little bit like a, <laughs> like a jerk? <laughs> it's like, I, it's, I will so s- it's like Pennywise just, you know, he's an a-hole, but you almost want to root for him because he's just so gosh darn lovable. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> I, I will so. say, Stephen, beep, beep, Richie does show up in this movie, I was waiting for it. That's good. Holy, holy crap! Though when it when you watch it and you see that scene, mm-hmm. it is so flip. You are so f- terrified for Richie. Yeah, because it's just him and Pennywise. Well, that's how it should he's be. He's like separating him from the rest. It of the shouldn't group. be funny. 
<laughs> so it's like now there's there's definitely like i mean don't get it twisted i mean there's there's some moments where i feel like it was unintentionally funny but then there are there are several moments in it that are just terrifying you know and i feel like bill and i feel like bill skarsgård because he he was so um he was so adamant about making it different from tim curry I'm not. I'm not even gonna say like he's a better Pennywise. I feel like they tackled the character so in such different ways. You can't mm-hmm. really compare them. Kind of like you Heath can't Ledger say like oh and, Bill's uh, better. Jack Nicholson. Yep. Correct. Exactly like that. Okay. Yeah. It's good that we're getting something fresh and not someone who is trying to do what Tim Curry was. Yeah. Doing. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. my biggest problem with remakes is they always want to you know, pay homage to the original, but they do it in such a loving way that it just, it just feels pointless. And so to see them go in a different direction is good. But Steven, the the problem is, is that sometimes they're not, they're unable to get into that other direction. Um, now that we can finally talk about this, um, cause we keep alluding yes. to it. Um, but it's, it's the, it's the producer. Mm. It's the studio that, feels like they know they know society better and you know they know what's best for for the viewing public and then what do they do they take a movie and they they slap a they you know they slap their logo on it and then like you're selling you're selling you're selling <laughs> <laughs> yes you got it <laughs> condors condors are on the verge of extinction <laughs> If I gathered up around a team of scientists to bring back condors, you wouldn't have anything to say about it. Yeah, I know my Jurassic Park. Yeah, yes. Uh, but it's the yeah. truth. It, it, but it is. It is the truth. It is. Mm-hmm. It is what um, the film industry has become, and I feel like. And it. And it's funny that the Emmys are are on while we're recording this because I do want to. There is one winner that I do want to I do want to talk about um, a little bit later once we have our initial discussion. But uh, this this topic kind of spawned from from Stephen's observation about about something that happened recently. Uh, Stephen, why don't you share with the audience uh, exactly what happened? Yeah. Okay. So um, it was recently announced that uh, Lucasfilm and Colin Trevorrow were going to be going separate ways on Star Wars Episode Nine, meaning he was being let go from it. Um, and, uh, you know, they haven't really said why. There's a lot of speculation about why. Um, and then it, in from the time we actually talked about making this a topic to now, uh, it, the reports have come out that apparently J.J. Abrams is going to replace him. Um and uh, it's it's an interesting thing because I, f- I have mixed feelings about it. On one hand, I'm glad Trevorrow's out because when they announced him as director for episode nine, I just kind of felt like, hmm, that's an interesting choice. You know, don't get me wrong. I really like I really loved Jurassic World, but I will admit that I feel like Colin Trevorrow does he what he's really good at is making good individual moments in scenes mm-hmm. rather than a whole movie. Um, because I feel like when you look at the movie at its sum, you do start to see a lot more of its flaws. Um, 
and just some of his writing shortcomings. And I'm, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, um, but I feel mm-hmm. like he personally does not recognize some of his shortcomings. Um, like, okay, case in point, Jurassic World, you know, this is a franchise that, you know, kind of going back to the grammar of cinema uh, with shooting techniques and tone and all that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Jurassic Park's a franchise all its death scenes are built around human hubris. The people who die committed some kind of sin. You know, the lawyer in the first Jurassic Park, he left the kids to die. So, of course, he gets eaten by a T-Rex. Uh, Dennis Nedry, he's the one who screwed the whole park up. So, of course, he gets eaten by a dinosaur. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and it's 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 things like that. But in Jurassic World, while the movie starts out that way with people getting killed because of, you know, some flaw they had uh then all of a sudden you have the woman who we haven't really seen much of not only get a horrible death scene but she gets flat out tortured and the way the whole Mm. scene kind of read was she's being tortured because she's a woman now that was the interpretation of a lot of people and there's a lot of controversy about it and you know this kind of led to speculation like you know this with some other things in the movie are just kind of you know, a bit sexist, but, um, you know, I think that's up for interpretation, but, um, shortly after that, uh, he kind of came out and made some unfortunate comments where he said, you know, more women don't direct blockbusters because they just don't want to, and there's not enough. And it's like, it was such a tone deaf comment that it Mm. felt like, you know, you've got star Wars, the force awakens with a strong female lead. Um, and, really great characters and you want to put this guy in charge of that kind of story. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And so Mm -hmm. by replacing him, I feel good where I kind of feel, you know, sort of, you know, where I get kind of like, "Mm, I don't know if this is necessarily a good thing is what if that wasn't the reason he was let go? And it has more to do with just, you know, the director's vision and maybe it jarred with the producer's vision Because at the end of the day, even though, you know, um, you know, it's being directed by different directors, it's still got to have the Kathleen Kennedy seal of approval. It still has to get the okay from Lucasfilm. And, Mm. you know, you think about the Star Wars movies that have already been released. Forced Awakens, um, you know, J.J. Abrams passed it. He got the Kathleen Kennedy seal of approval. But then, like with Rogue One, the directors got the boot and... Um, it got re-edited because the producers weren't happy with it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a fine film, but it could have been, you know, probably a little more consistently better had it not really been... Like, you could tell a lot of reshots were done. Um, Mm -hmm. And now you're hearing all this about the Han Solo movie. They didn't like the director's vision, so they gave him the boot. Um, You look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's the same thing. Producers don't like the, you know director's vision so they give them the boots got to line up and i feel like there has to be a common ground here because you know there is a real danger to letting directors have free reign all the time you know when uh george lucas had free reign on star wars prequels he wasn't given the same kind of control that he had on the original trilogy and what do you know it kind of backfired because his movies were so insane no one could really follow the plot um Whereas before, you know, the studios kept him in check and we got the trilogy, which was amazing. Um, So, you know, there is always kind of a back and forth. And I feel like what all sides kind of need to remember is that filmmaking is a collaborative process. 
it can't just mm-hmm. be one or the other calling all the shots, you know. Understandably, producers are the ones handling all the money, so of course they should probably have some say as to what actually goes in the movie. You know, almost mm-hmm. like an extra set of eyes, because the director can only see so many things. Uh, Ghostbusters, the recent the remake, was a prime example. Um, I, I read an article where uh, Dan Aykroyd said he and the producers told the director, "Look, you need to you need to shoot this uh, particular scene," and he said, "Oh no, 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 it'll be fine. We can get by without it." And then when they were in the middle of editing it, he realized, oh, wait, maybe I should have shot that. And they wasted millions more dollars doing some reshoots, and they actually lost money because of that. Um, So that was a case where the director's vision, really he should have been more open to the producers. That Mm -hmm, said, mm -hmm. you know, you also have those movies where the producers, you know, have so much control that it actually hampens the spirit of the movie as a whole, and it just feels like a micro processed film that was done in a laboratory by you know a corporate machine and it just lacks soul so it's like you know my personal feelings i know i've been rambling because i have so much to say about this but (laughs) i just i just feel like i know there are so many studios pushing for cinematic universes and i know they have this big picture in mind and universal's trying to do this now so I wouldn't be surprised if we hear more stories like this about, you know, oh, Universal lets, I don't know, Darren Aronofsky go from Frankenstein remake or whatever because of you know, different uh, creative visions or whatever. But both sides need to realize filmmaking is a creative process. The director mm-hmm. needs to have a vision, but he shouldn't necessarily always be given free reign. You know, the producers should respect that. Unless it is genuinely, you know, too insane to get behind, you know. But I just I just feel like that's what's missing in this whole debate is that collaborative spirit. It's almost like the producers don't want that collaboration anymore. And directors, mm. um, specifically fans who are like, oh, yeah, I love the director so-and-so. Maybe, maybe sometimes the re- director does need a little reining in. Because remember... A little bit of reining in of the director can give us Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back versus no reining him in and Star Wars The Phantom Menace is the result. So (laughs) that's my rant. I'm done. Lindley, what are your thoughts? (laughs) No, I I really agree with you. Sometimes, Sometimes it's necessary, but other times you don't want to go overboard with it. Because if you go overboard, you're just going to get a carbon cutout of a movie instead of something that could be really, truly unique and original. But some directors do need to be ringed back, but not always. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, Stephen, but only to a certain degree. Okay, let me explain. I feel like studios, some studios, you have to have full control. And I'll explain why. You look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You have so many working parts in there. You kind of need someone to, you kind of need that producer to call the shots. Mm -hmm. And say that this is the vision, this is the vision that we are trying to work towards. You can do whatever you want in this little sandbox, but you have to hit these points. Otherwise, 
this whole thing collapses around us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. But I also think that Marvel got to that point. It didn't start off that way. Because if you remember, I mean, yeah, they were connected to a degree. Like, they had, like a, their, they had their Easter eggs. But Iron Man, Thor, Incredible Hulk, and Captain America, all separate entities. They felt mm-hmm. like their own movies. And it wasn't until after Avengers that you really started to hear that behind the scenes, they call the shots. And because of that, people left. John Favreau dropped. He's in the movie still, but he doesn't direct anymore. Joss mm-hmm. Whedon left because of that. So, but before, those two were fine. So I feel like to like when you get to a certain point, especially if you're trying to make a big cinematic universe, yeah, you do have to have the one person calling all the shots. But early on, you need to, if you're hiring a director, you need to trust them to do their thing. Yep. You need to trust that they can that they can get the job done if what you want is a cinematic universe. Let them establish the tone. And then once you have the tone established, once you know that you're going to get butts and seats, then you can start treating it like a machine. And that's what Marvel has done. And guess what? It's working out for them. But everybody wants to start off that way. But it doesn't work. You know? Because then you have these directors who feel stifled and then they can't tell a, a, a good story unless you take them out of the cinematic universe uh, either by giving them a separate movie, same character, separate movie, or take them out of that, t- take them out of the time period of the time of the of the universe. Look at Logan. Look at Wonder Woman. Look at Guardians of the Galaxy. These are all hit superhero movies that don't feel like a part of their cinematic universe is because they're so far removed and the directors are allowed to have a lot more fun. Like Tim, not Tim Gunn, James Gunn, uh, make it work, people. Uh, James Gunn (laughs) loves working on Guardians of the Galaxy. And why? Because he's pretty much in, he's pretty much in charge of like all of the, like the cosmic Marvel universe. He's the one that's in charge of like shaping that along with whatever Thor director they get. So you know that he has free reign. But then you look at people like Joss Whedon, who, you know, after Avengers 2, he's like, I have to, I have to make much ado about nothing. Why? Because I need something where it's just me and I can create and I don't feel like I have to answer anybody. John Favreau, I need to make Chef. Why? Because it's a direct parallel to my experience with Marvel. Oh my gosh, Chef is so good. Chef is excellent. Chef but is that's, so but good. But that's the whole. But that that's the that's the story of, of Chef. Chef is basically Tom is John Favreau's experience being under Marvel, and then making Chef. Chef was his Cubano. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> but I feel I feel like I feel but, like. More, more and more studios need to trust their directors to just do the right thing. You know, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned Baby Driver earlier. That was a huge hit, and it's because they let Edgar Wright play. 
Um, I was I was saying that the Emmys they had um, they just had uh, the reveal for best director of oh, a comedy yes. series. Donald it Glover. is Donald Glover for Atlanta. <laughs> yes, and that again, it's such a unique show. It has a voice. It has character. It's got heart. It is an excellent, excellent, excellent show. And it shows because you can see it in all the awards that are winning. But guess what? That is not a corporate, you know, churned out show. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's different. The sound is different. The feel is different. It's unique. It's interesting to watch. You laugh. You cry. You kid f- that Marcus always scares me with. Hmm. It's got the creepy albino kid that Marcus always scares me with. Exactly. It's got the creepy albino kid that I always scared <laughs> Lindley with. You know. If that's not a reason to watch. <laughs> so I mean, so I mean, like it's such when. It it just shows when studios trust the people that are making these small individual worlds, great things always happen. And it makes much more money for them in the long run. Because most of the time, because I'm pretty sure Baby Driver did not cost that much. I can I can fact check myself on that, but I'm pretty sure Baby Driver did not take cost that much money to make. And they went way over their budget and when it came to the box office. And, you know, I think that just kind of goes back to a little bit of the collaborative process, because when you looked at like, okay, going back to the 90s for a second, you had a movie like Waterworld, where a director just went absolutely insane with the budget (laughs) and the movie just turned out to be meh, nothing special. Mm -hmm. And it did it did terrible at the box office. So it's like you do need, I do agree, you do need someone pulling the reins every now and then. I just think, you know, part of that collaboration can be, you know, a producer should set some guidelines and the director should play within those guidelines, definitely. Especially in the, you know, idea of like a cinematic universe where there's a bigger picture they're trying to build. Um, But yeah, they should trust their directors. Again, unless it's clear that their director is absolutely insane, totally wrong for the project, uh, which I mm-hmm. feel Colin Trevorrow was. I don't like his um, the way he uses cinematic uh, techniques. I feel like he can make really great scenes, but I also feel he can be a little tone deaf about some things that he portrays. And I feel for something as big as Star Wars, I almost feel like he's not ready for... Uh, the serious emotional content that should come with a good Star Wars movie. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. But Agreed. but the thing is, though, it's I mean, it's kind of hard to be able to tell that stuff. Um, you know, as far as is this director going to going to produce something that's going to make a lot of money? Um, I mean, you look at I'm like, I'm looking at Patty Jenkins' filmography right now. The biggest thing she did before Wonder Woman was in 2003 with Monster. Yeah. And so from like if I were if I were if I were an executive I didn't think Monster was that great. So if I was an executive, 
I might not have given Patty Jenkins a shot at Wonder Woman. Somebody obviously thought enough to be like was you know smarter smarter than me in that in that aspect to be like uh, put Patty Jenkins in. Let's see what she can do. If she messes up, oh well. But if she does well, hey, it, it maybe it'll work out in her favor. It does work out in their favor. Um, but I mean, you, you don't know. You know, you can't tell who these people are going to be. You can have like this guy who's used to do it. You can have a Michael Bay who does like these really big budget and like everyone goes to see them like summer blockbusters, but then his movies are crap. And then you've got like Patty Jenkins who doesn't do that stuff. Who's, you know, her last big thing was monster. And then she takes wonder woman and it makes it a, it makes it a household name, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, it's like, how do you, how do you decide? How do you know who's going to be, who, who the directors are that, that you rein in, <clears throat> And who are the directors that you you know you're like, here's here's a blank check. You make the movie that you make the movie that you want to make, and we have faith in you that you're gonna you're gonna get a, get us that money back. I think also, they can tell Baby by Driver, watching the dailies, but yes. Baby Driver also, by the way, did the budget was thirty four dollars. It made two hundred fourteen point one million dollars. Wait, the budget was $34? Sorry, $34 million. <laughs> I was about to say, dang, the return of the low-budget miracle. All of the actors were I there wish. on volunteer work. I wish. <laughs> Suddenly, this makes my movies look efficient. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you right now, though, I can tell you right now, though, most of that budget probably went to the songs. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Just to get the rights for all of them, but still... I mean that's, I mean that's huge, for a movie that I'm sure someone was probably like, oh well this will be, quaint. Not realizing that you got the director of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Great. Don't, movie. don't sleep on that movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it because it's excellent. <laughs> but, guys. I think we've reached the end of our show. I know. I know. It's a little disappointing. But as always, I have enjoyed talking with you guys. Uh, If you all enjoyed the show uh, and you'd like to continue the conversation with us, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us on our Facebook pages uh, as well as on our Twitter at popcorn, P-O-P-C-R-O-N underscore prattle, P-R-A-T-T-L-E, as well as our Instagram. Um... But if you want to talk to us individually, that's a horse of a different color. Uh, Lindley, where can the folks at home reach you? Folks at home, you can mostly find me on Instagram at LittleLottie, that's L-O-T-T-I-E, and I am on Facebook at LittleLottie Cosplay. Got some very exciting things coming up. New York Comic Con's going to be soon. It's coming up. I'm excited. Posted my lineup. Let's do it. Oh, that's true. That's true. We need to talk. We need to talk about your your witch call responsibilities while you're there. Oh, have I fun. Have responsibilities now. You have responsibilities this. You have responsibilities this year. If you're gonna go every year. You're gonna have responsibilities now. Yes, sir. <laughs> Parker, I want I want ten pictures of Spider Man by the end of the week. <laughs> Can I have an advance? We need, J- we need Jason to come back and do his J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> Burger. <laughs> <laughs> 
Stephen, where can the folks at home reach you? Uh, well, folks at home, if you head over to YouTube, um, I don't know, type in uh, Nightmare <laughs> of the Masked Lady because YouTube's being kind of weird about my name right now. Uh, my channel what? will come up as Stephen Bailey. Um, I have to wait a few more weeks to get that resolved. Um, and I will change it to Bailey's Film Workshop eventually. But for right now, just type in Nightmare of the Mass Lady and it'll come up. And you'll be able to see some of my earliest videos I made when I was still a kid. Uh, I've been uploading a few. And uh, they're crap. They're absolutely terrible. But, uh, you know, for history's sake, you can see where I got my start. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, I am at Bailey's Workshop. See, Twitter's not giving me a hard time about my name. Maybe Google uh, should follow suit. What's going on, Google? What's going on? I've been a Facebook Calling subscriber out, for Google. years, but yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Definitely check out the YouTube page, especially sometime in the next month. There may be a um, <clears throat> trailer slash teaser of some sort for a uh, very very large project I am currently working on. Ahem. Should check it also, out. Also, folks. Steven is being incredibly modest right now, but I'm going to help him out. He, yes, his early stuff is admittedly a bit weak, but it's still <laughs> quite good. As and, and he has gotten much better. So when you do get to his page, be sure to check out... Uh, oh, goodness. What is, what is the name of, the, what is the, name of the, the really scary one that you do? Oh, Nightmare of the Mask Lady? Yes, That's Nightmare... Yeah, you just said it. Uh, Nightmare of the Mask Lady. It is incredibly scary, incredibly well done, um, and it's not. It doesn't take up too much time, too much of your time. Um, but if you enjoy it, please feel free to share it, um, so that he can stop being oh, yes. modest and admit that he's very talented when it comes to filming. Um, if if you uh, if you would like to get in touch with me, uh, you can always talk to me at the Popcorn Prattle Facebook page. Uh, but you can also hit me up on my own Twitter at Mark M A R C underscore Leroy. Uh, you can also find me on Insta. And yeah, that is about it. So, guys, I think that's everything. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, then I leave you with this audience. From all of us, to all of you, we wish you peace, love, and tranquility. You all take care now.